Welcome to the podcast, Speak Your Peace. This is a podcast about Utah's history. My name is Brad Westwood. I'm Senior Public Historian at the Utah Department of Heritage and Arts. My guest for the first segment and the second segment is Salt Lake Tribune Director of Photography, Jeremy Harmon. Jeremy, thanks again for being part of Speak Your Peace. I really enjoy talking about this topic, so... Well, and Happy to be here. It, it has implications not only for Utah's history, but for American history and uh, ethnic history. There's just so many ways of coming at this. Now, because it's been so uh, such an enduring interest, there's a number of books that have been written. Describe the field of books, the websites that our listeners can read. What are the best books or sources and why? So um, my favorite book on the topic is Franklin Rosemont's um, Joe Hill. It's got a subtitle that's really long. <laughs> I'm kind of blanking on it, right? but it's basically, uh, you know, the IWW and the making of a counterculture. Um, oh, it's a IWW and the making of a revolutionary working class counterculture. There you go. There's Thank a mouthful. you. Yeah. Um, that book um, um, if you, if you're really interested in the topic and you want to know about it from like every possible kind of point of view, that is the book. It is, it is a hefty book. It is, um, a deep dive. Um, uh, Rosemont really comes at it from oh, like the cultural stuff, the, um, political st- side of it. He addresses a lot of the myths that were going on. He, he's talking, he's pulling in, um, figures that are left out as some of the more, um, uh, for lack of a better word, digestible, uh, biographies on it. His book is really, is, um, it's a deep dive. Um, there's a book called the man who never died by William Adler. Um, that's another excellent book. He really, um, he spends a good portion of his book tracking down, um, this other guy who, you know, the police originally thought might've done it. He spends a lot of time exploring who that guy was. And that is a fascinating part of the book. And it's, um, knowing more about who that man was, is really interesting. He was a career criminal. Um, after he left Salt Lake city, you know, he bounced around a little bit, but he eventually ended up being a, uh, uh, you know, basically a hired goon for Al Capone. Like he was a bad dude. Um, there's a really famous massacre in, uh, gangland massacre in Chicago and the getaway car belonged to this guy, you know, like, and he, he spent he some was time in here. Salt Lake city yeah. at the time. Yeah. And he's, 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 he was shot that night and he's somebody the police were looking for. And, but it all um, ended up in Joe Hill's lap. Uh, that's, that's a fascinating book. Um, Gibbs Smith's book, um, just Joe Hill from the late sixties. Um, everybody's standing on the shoulders of that book. That really was the first, um, like academic biography that had ever been written about Joe Hill. So that's a great one. Um, One book I would mention um, that is not specifically about Joe Hill, but it does have a chapter about Joe Hill is uh, the autobiography of a guy named Ralph Chaplin. It's called Wobbly. Um, uh, uh, Chaplin is a, is a beautiful writer. Um, He had a fascinating life. He was in the thick of the fight from the time he was a very young boy all the way till his death. Um, and, uh, um, he was, he was one of the, uh, he was on the central board of the IWW at the time of Joe Hill's execution. And so he's got some really interesting insights about what Joe meant to the, um, union at large, but, um, because Joe's a, 
like a secondary character in the story, you get a really good sense of how um, all-encompassing the labor movement was at the time and just all the stuff that was going on. Uh, Chaplin was uh, a close personal friend of Eugene Debs. So you get that whole side of it. It's just, it's, it's a really, I really uh, enjoy that book a lot. Um, one book that when I'm talking about what books you should read, there's one book that I definitely think people should not read, and that's a Wallace Stegner's uh, Joe Hill novel. Um, I, this is not a knock on Wallace Stegner. This is not a, um, you know, it's not a beautiful, it's not that the book isn't beautifully written. The book is so heavenly, hev- heavenly, heavily fictionalized um, that for any kind of like academic understanding, uh, the, the book really is useless. Um, so, so far as the, uh, following the threads of historical evidence, uh, following some kind of journalistic or historical methodology, it's none of the above. You're, you're it's saying none of it the is, above. It is a novel. It's a novel. And Stegner is a, a Utah son and whom we are uh, really respect and love as a, as a writer. But you're saying don't, don't turn to that book. No. Um, so when I first read Stegner's book, it was very confusing to me because I'd read the other books. And so I, I was, I became very interested in wanting to know how he, um, created the story that he did. And so, um, I actually, like I, you know, a lot of his papers are at Stanford and Pasadena. And so, um, I wrote to them, I have copies of all his letters and research files from there. Um, I've, I've gone to Michigan where a bunch of his papers are. I have, um, and then, of course, there's a bunch of his stuff at the Marriott Library yeah, as well. Yeah. So I, I've, as far as I know, I've seen all of the, his research that was saved. And the most interesting document in there is a uh, outline of the book that he sent to his publisher um, before he, um, you know, before he submitted a draft of the book. And he goes through chapter by chapter and describes what's going on. And there are huge swaths of the book where the description of the chapter is just entirely fictional, entirely fictional, entirely fictional. Um, some of the things that he does in the book that are really confusing is he takes names of real people who were in Salt Lake City who might have been part of the defense committee or might have been, you know, they had they played a, a real role. And he assigns those names to characters in his book. And in many cases, they're doing the opposite. Well, and it is a it is a novel. I mean, it's yeah. not expressed. It's a historical novel based yeah. on, on facts, supposedly, but it's still a work of fiction. Yeah. But you're saying, though, that it is often the book that people turn to and have developed a great deal of sort of the body of knowledge. I, I get asked about the book a lot because Wallace Stegner, Pulitzer Prize winner, you know, he's he's um, somebody, you know, he's a contender, right? Like he's he's not a slouch. Like he's mm-hmm. he's an excellent writer. He's an excellent storyteller. What, what do you think's motivating him, Jeremy? I have no idea. Do you, do you yeah. think, I mean, uh, there's a, to a certain degree a certain amount of uh, – status quo uh, support, is there not, uh, related to uh, uh, sort of a, maybe a little lean against unions, uh, against the... I, th- I, think an argue, I think an argument can be made on that. Um, uh, you know, the, the book was published in the late 1940s. Um, um, I just... I don't know. I can't go back in time and put myself in his head, but um, the book kind of, I mean, it does rely on some um, 
like anti-labor tropes. Um, it's really interesting to read his correspondence as he's looking for sources and who he wants to talk to and things like that. Um, he's talking to a number of people in Salt Lake City who, who told him that nobody on the defense committee was around anymore, but he's talking to like police and stuff that were involved in the case. And there were a lot of defense committee people who were still around. Um, There's another researcher who was working on a book that he was never able to get published because Stegner's book took the wind out of his sails. But he was talking to all kinds of people who were on the, like he, you know, he's got all kinds of letters that he was writing with Virginia Snow and um, some of the other, some of the shopkeepers I talked about who had places along, there's a guy named Alfred Sorensen who was uh, one of the local socialists who had one of those shops on 200 South that I talked about. You know, he was talking to him. Um, he was talking to all kinds of people now, are some of these on the uh, uh, Salt Lake Tribune website? Yes. Yeah, a lot of the letters are on there. Tell like us about all the Virginia it. Snow letters are on there. They're fascinating documents. What What is on there, and uh, who maintains it? And again, tell us the so, URL. So it's uh, joehill.sltrib.com. Um, uh, in 2015 is when the centennial of the execution was. We thought it would be neat to do a big project. Um, you know, looking at the legacy of this and, you know, how it shaped Utah, how it affected all the different people involved. Um, we talked to the Morrison family quite a bit, which is a just really heartbreaking and important part of the story. Um, it's, um, there's a lot on there though. Um, like we've got all kinds of old letters. We've got all kinds of documents. The uh, memoir I mentioned that was written by the uh, Swedish woman who grew up in Murray, we've got a scan of that on there that people can go and read for themselves. Well, and what 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 is the heart of Speak Your Peace is the hope that listeners will be interested yeah. and pursue it. And is that, isn't that kind of the gateway to this subject so far as the, the um, Online, sources? if I can toot our own horn. Uh, on as far as online resources about Joe Hill go, this web our website is the most thorough thing that's out there. Like we we talk about the songs, we talk about. I hired local bands to uh, learn the songs, and we filmed them performing them around the <laughs> city and places wonderful. that were germane to the story. Um, and then you know we turned them into little mini documentaries about what happened at that spot. Um, it was a lot of fun to work on it. Um, and and of course, there's the books you've mentioned. The, yeah. Uh, the um, the, the book by uh, Alder, uh, you also mentioned um, uh, Franklin Rosemont's book, uh, and, and there are others, but I appreciate you mentioning those two books. And then, of course, we would want you to listeners to go to uh, the Salt Lake Tribune page. Let's talk about physical locales in association with this story, story here in Salt Lake City. Okay. Um, well, Sugar House Park, that's a fun one. Um, you know, that's where the prison was. Um, if you're on the north side of the park on 21st South, pretty much across the street from Baskin Robbins, and then you walk maybe 20 feet into the park from the sidewalk, you are standing about as close as you can be to where Joe Hill was sitting in the chair when he was executed. And that's kind of an interesting thing to think about, right? Um, um, I've gone up there to, you know, just be there and think about the story and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm standing up there by myself being a weirdo and there's people around, you know, walking their dogs, doing yoga, you know, um, soccer teams, practicing, whatever. Um, the, the park, the idea that all this stuff, so much of this happened at the park was one of the things that really captured my, my imagination about this early on. Cause I live near the park and I love taking my children to the park to play on the playgrounds and stuff like mm -hmm. that. 
and to think about like all the terrible things that happened up on top of that hill from the playground, <laughs> you know, like, you know, all the people who were imprisoned up there, it's just like, wow, that's, that's, that's pretty heavy. Um, you know, I talked about um, downtown across the street from the Galvin center. Um, um, and the, you can, you can get a glimmer of that. I mean, you can see uh commercial where commercial street, where the uh, uh, Chinese plum alley yeah. is. And then you look across the street and of course it's all been redeveloped, but, it, it's still, there's a few fragments to give you some sense. Yeah, of there's it. one old building down there that's still from the time period on Regent Street now. So it's just kind of fun to go and see that. Cause for me, that really kind of helps me get in the the space of all that. Uh, one of the great ironies to me about it is, is like across the street from that building, there's a big plaque on the ground to Wallace Stegner now too. So that's kind of fun to think about. <laughs> but um, so there's that, the Union Pacific Station downtown. Um, there's a, a whole big part of the Isn't drama that took where place he's there. Eventually, his his remains are uh, taken in parade. Yeah, there's a big funeral procession. They end there. There were about 300 people in his funeral parade. They got when they got to the police station. They were walking down uh, South Temple. There, just they, you know, they they came up. They walked north up West Temple, and then they came around the corner onto South Temple. And we're walking right down to the front of the train station there. There was a line of police officers there to meet them. Um, they would only let the local head of the union, um, who's a guy named Ed Rowan, they let him through with the casket. They let the pallbearers through. And then the union was so afraid that somebody would like steal Joe's body or desecrate it or something like that, that they sent a guy from Chicago who sat in the cargo section of the train with the casket all the way back to Chicago. Those are the only people they let through. So that's kind of a fun thing to go down and think about. Um, uh, Main Street, there's all kinds of stuff that happened along there. Um, 200 South, there's all kinds. Of- Where's the office of the Wobblies in Salt Lake? Uh, well, there were a few. Um, one of the more significant, you know, because they, they, they moved around a little bit. Um, uh, there was one at 170 South Main, um, which at the time was one of those old kind of like three or four story, really skinny buildings. Now it's a bank. Big, I forget which bank is like one of the high rises downtown. Now um, they were there. Uh, they had an office on North Temple for a while. Um, North to, Temple uh, towards the West end of town. Not super far West. I'm trying okay. to, it was, it was maybe a block down from, uh, Temple Square, Would have uh, been like a block to the west. Near what was once the inner urban station, which is where Bravanel Hall is yeah. now located. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, in fact, yeah, pretty much across the street from where Bravanel Hall is now. Um, they were there for a while, and th- that was a tiny little operation. Um, this Larson guy um, he, that I was talking about, he lived between 2nd and 3rd South on 600 East. His house was kind of a hangout for everybody. Um, the... Um, the doctor's office that Joe Hill went to um, was 3300 South and State. It's like a gas station now in that little uh, Chinese uh, Chinese market area. That's where that's where the doctor was. Um, the, Joe was living um, the the house that he was living in now is now townhouses in Murray. It's uh, 4800 South and um, 200 West. If you if you go up. Uh, if you go down to 200 West on 4800 South, turn North, go up about half a block. There's a row of townhouses. The very last townhouse is where the house where Joe Hill was living at the time of his arrest. Interesting. Yeah. Well, now I want to go back to the, uh, uh, the offices of these union uh, 
operations, uh, the records, the papers, the materials, what happened to all the things that were collected? I mean, there was a great deal of effort. It wasn't just in Chicago. It was in California. It was in Utah where there was so much industry. What happened to the records? Well, the Utah records were destroyed. Um, so in 19, late 1917, um, there was a raid. Uh, it was the Bureau of Investigation, precursor to the FBI. Uh, they raided the office there. They arrested the two guys who were in there. They pulled about two tons of documents out of the office and just burned them. And then these guys were sent back to Chicago, and there, there was a massive trial in uh, 1918, about 100 defendants. Um, all is, I believe it's the largest mass trial still to happen in the history of the and United those States. those individuals that were in the Salt Lake offices were part of that trial? Yes. Yeah, one of them was deported. The other one, um, all of them were convicted. Um, I believe, so there's a guy named Grover Perry. I believe he did his prison sentence at Leavenworth. And then there was a guy named Ragnar Johansson who was Swedish and he was deported. So there's incredible connections between the uh, union movement of Chicago and California and Salt Lake City. I mean, I think that's part of the backdrop to the story is just yeah. how involved. Well, they were the industrial were in workers of the world. It was an international union. Um, they wanted to get the working class in every country um, all under one banner, which, and it was the banner of the union. Um, you know, and um, the reason that they were rounded up and arrested was because of the World War I stuff that was going on. Like, you know, they were doing strikes in mines and the metal was needed to, you know, make weapons for the soldiers. And um, the union being international, they didn't want the working class people in their union being conscripted into the military and then sent off to Europe to go kill other working class people. You know, um, there was a there was a period in time where new immigrants um, would be conscripted into, you know, they'd be fleeing Europe. They'd arrive in the United States, be conscripted into the army and sent back to Europe mm -hmm. to, you know, to fight their homelands. And, and so, you know, that stuff was like really controversial. And um, but also, you know, at this time, you know, the hyper patriotism that was going on in the country, if you raised your hand and said you didn't like that. Um, some of these guys, like Ralph Chaplin, I mentioned his book, he was, um, he was given a 20 year prison sentence for raising his hand and saying he didn't think that was right. Wow. So what a, I think the Joe Hill story can take any of you listeners into a real interesting aspect of history in Utah and America in many ways, uh, very much a foreign country. I mean, the past is truly a foreign country. We don't understand how rapidly things change. And I guess to a certain degree, how they stay the same. Well, I think that, are we done or is that? Oh, a, no, go ahead. Buddy. Okay. Oh, Cause I think that the past is a foreign country that we don't understand. I think that's a really good segue into the, um, another part of the story that, um, is the mythology of, uh, um, so Joe Hill very famously did not, um, say where he was when he got shot. He didn't present any kind of alibi. He didn't tell his lawyers anything about what was going on or who he knew or. And, and so for, to a certain degree, that was so far as the. Uh, the police and, and the district attorneys, they pretty well thought, well, that means he, he's guilty. Yeah. If, if um, yes. And so the, the point I wanted to make with the past being a foreign country and we don't always understand it. Um, uh, one of the things that has persisted in the story has been, well, if he, if he didn't do it, he could have just said what was going on and everything would have been fine. Well, that's all fine and good. If you are um, 
somebody who's established in the country, you know, maybe you're white, you have a lot of money. And, but if you're an immigrant, that's not going to work out for you as well. And so that's what, what the, to me, the, the kind of the noise that's made around, well, why didn't he just speak up and defend himself? I think it's more fair to ask, why would he have? And if you go back to some of these old letters, and we've got a lot of these on the website, the, the ones from Virginia Snow are really fascinating because she knew, she knew everybody, you know, and she talks in her letters about um, people not wanting to speak up because they were so afraid of the police. And so you've got Joe Hill and you like um, really got to understand what was going on with the IWW in the Western United States at the time, like city after city after city is making it illegal for them to even exist. Um, Spokane was arresting and Spokane, Washington, they arrested hundreds and hundreds of people. They arrested so many people. They filled the jail. They had to take over the school and they were just packing people into the school. So, so those and immigrants, then, they're not just uh, thinking about what's right or wrong. They're thinking about my livelihood. Uh, may I stay in the United States? Uh, there's a lot of issues associated with fear that keeps them quiet. Well, so there was an, there's another IWW member in Salt Lake city at the same time who, um, uh, when they found out he was associated, he was in and out of jail for almost two years and he's eventually killed by the police. And at the same time, you've got the police telling Joe Hill, well, just tell us who your friends are. You can trust us. Well, this one guy who's in the same union as him, he get, he's killed. Um, police were just like pouring over the Swedish neighborhood and intimidating people. There's, um, there's a Pinkerton uh, field notes I found from, you know, they infiltrated the union and they're talking about the police going into boarding houses and just grabbing people out of the boarding house, take them down to the trial and forcing them to testify against Joe Hill, even though they never even, they didn't even know who the guy was. They're just grabbing random people and forcing them to do all this stuff. And at the same time, the police are saying, oh, you can trust us. You know, you can listen to us. And so to me, it isn't, um, why didn't he speak up? It's like, why would he? If if he's if he starts naming names or you know saying he I was could with harm this person, his community he could harm his community wasn't there something else going on as to why was he shot tell us about that so um, the only thing that we have from Joe is um, that he got in an argument with a guy over his wife that's what he told the doctor that night he never said that again to anybody ever you know if they'd ask him he'd get mad he'd tell his attorneys to stop bringing it up. Um, one of the things that's really interesting, so Adler in his book, he makes the argument that it was a woman named Hilda Erickson. Um, I don't blame him for making that argument because she wrote a letter saying I'm the woman. And so, you know, that's pretty good. Um, but, um, her friends were writing to this same author. This is the guy who was working on his book the same time Stegner was, he's writing to all these people. She wrote to him and said, Hey, I'm the lady. And but all the other friends were like, what? No, she isn't. <laughs> She's crazy. It wasn't her. They never named who it was, but, you know, it's not her. But there's this guy, um, Oscar Larson, who was deported in the 30s because he was a communist. Um, when he got back to Sweden, because he knew Joe Hill, um, he was being asked to write in all these Swedish publications about about his experiences there. And he names, he says the woman was a woman named Maria Johansson, another Swedish immigrant. She was living in Sandy. Um, she knew Joe Hill. They were from the same town. They knew each other as children. Uh, they're walking around downtown one day and they run into each other. It's like, Maria, Joel, oh my goodness. Haven't seen you forever. And, um, 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 uh, Larson, when he got, gets home to Sweden, he writes that Joe had bought her like a big present and was on his way to visit her 
on the day that he got shot. Um, they'd been hanging out. So, um, you know, you look into, well, who's, who's this Maria woman? Um, well, again, state archives, thank you for saving everything. Um, 1913, she filed for divorce from her husband. And so there's all the, and, uh, so, the, so there might be a little, uh, threesome issue going on here. Well, yeah. And I, uh, the evidence seems to suggest that there is, um, in this divorce document that they filed, it's really fascinating. Um, the husband accuses her of sleeping around with a bunch of dudes. She accuses him of being super violent. Oscar, the guy who got deported says, well, Joe bought a present for her. So he buys a present for the woman who's going through a like really terrible divorce from a super violent guy who thinks his wife's stepping out on him all the time. Joe says he was shot in an argument over a woman, over a, over a guy's wife yeah. specifically. Um, Hilda wasn't married when all this went down. You know, she didn't get married until much later. So if it's the wife, it makes a lot more sense that it's Maria and, but he's not going to name any names. He's not going to rat anybody out because, you know, he's been in the union in the United States for years and everywhere they go, there's nothing but trouble. Everybody's getting arrested all the time. The cops are killing people all the time. Why is he going to speak up now? I mean, to me, it's not why didn't he speak up? Why on earth would he? But he's you know? also aware of his, uh, in his death, uh, uh, the, the cause will have, uh, will have some, uh, impact. Sure. I just, um, um, I don't think anybody can, um, say that that was really his primary motivation. I mean, it's certainly a, a now, thing that happened, but I think his primary motivation was a lot more pragmatic than that. And it was just wanting to protect the people that he was around. Jeremy, this can't is, prove any of it though. Right. Everybody's <laughs> dead. <laughs> so, what a great story. Uh, we are uh, here with Jeremy Harmon. We're grateful for his time with us today. Speak Your Peace is a podcast that is recorded and engineered in the Studio Underground here in Salt Lake City. I want to thank Connor Sorensen from Studio Underground, who is our sound engineer and post-production editor. The past is never truly in the past. It's all around us. It informs us. It speaks to both our shared and to our separate identities. Speak Your Peace is a podcast where writers curators, anyone interested in and have something to say about Utah's history can share their insights and discoveries. If there's one place, one podcast to get your Utah history fix, this is the place. Thank you so much, Jeremy Harmon, for joining me today. And thanks to all of you who are listening. We hope you'll tune in again. <laughs>